And one of my big takeaways is that everybody needs to write down some notes about their life somewhere, even if it's just journaling, because you don't know what a future generation might find interesting. Welcome to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, Jane. Hey, Heidi. I'm excited for today's show. I love when we have repeat people coming back. That's the best. Right? It's And we've had a lot of them now on Off the Gram. I mean, three years in, you know, yeah. I guess we would. But it's really cool when people that we are actually friends with in real life have different reasons and different pulse points and projects that bring them back on the show. And Chloe Malas is our guest today. Now, Chloe Malas, in addition to being one of my dearest friends, is an entertainment reporter for CNN. She covers all things entertainment and Hollywood for the network across platforms. So she's covered the coronavirus, the Me Too era, the Weinstein criminal trial, all of that. She also created and hosted a TV series for CNN's HLN called Side Hustle Success. And she also spent seven years at Hollywood Life, which is actually where I met her and where we became friends in the first place. I was a publicist, as I've mentioned many times on this show, for 17 years. And Chloe was in her- You were a publicist? Who knew? I was a publicist. I was a publicist. And so when I was out there pitching people like Megan Murphy, by the way, um, I was also pitching Chloe because she was a reporter up and coming under Bonnie Fuller at Hollywood Life. And I kind of watched her just grow through her career. And it was so fun to see your friends who are working at, um, not that Hollywood Life wasn't huge, but it was, you know, a celebrity um, website that kind of mirrored like the celebrity weeklies, you know what I mean? Like the stars and the in touch and all of those magazines. And so Hollywood Life was a real like pinnacle of kind of gossip and culture. But then to see her go from there to CNN has been so exciting for me just as a friend of hers. It's I watched her on the New Year's Eve special that they have and I literally cried. I was with my I'm with George and the kids. And I was, I had tears in my eyes. I was so proud of her. That's a big friggin' deal. So I know you have a word for this, but in yoga, they call that sympathetic joy, where you actually feel the joy for the other person. You know what? I really love that. And I talk about this so much, Heidi, and I, I know you do too. Like how often do we hear like real queens fix each other's crowns, but then meanwhile, women stab each other in the back and they don't really want the best for each other. And I genuinely feel like with my friends and my girlfriends, there is just not enough joy in the world to feel over their successes. I get as excited about seeing a friend of mine succeed and have a come up as I do for myself and maybe more so because I just feel this like sisterly love and I'm so proud of her. You know, in between her Hollywood Life days and her CNN days, she was also the co-host of VH1's hit morning show, The Gossip Table. And she's also become outspoken about infertility And of course, she lives with her husband and her two kiddos in the New York area. We had her on the first time when she had written an article about her kids and sleep. And I remember she was having this severe issue with her son being able to sleep. I mean, she could not get him to sleep through the night. And it was really affecting her and her husband, Brian, who's also a dear friend of mine and and my husband, George's. It was really affecting their life and, and really their marriage, to be quite honest. And as we can attest, Heidi, right? I mean, you've had issues with kids and sleep, right? I mean, like my kid, actually, it's like crazy to say this and I hate saying it, but my kids were really good sleepers, but I have been sleep deprived before. And, you know, I would say the first eight weeks of each of their lives were hell and then it got better. But 
you know, luckily for me, there was a beginning and an end. I hear that. And I, I got to say, like, and I have survivor's guilt about this, but my yeah. kids are pretty good sleepers, too. I always feel bad when yeah. I hear mothers really going through it. My kids, generally speaking, are good sleepers, but we've all had those times. Like, yeah. I, I was just telling you before we started this recording that I had one, you know, this last night slash this morning. Yeah. George left for a business trip. It was 4 a.m. Mason woke up with the pukes. I was like, this is going to be fun. Ugh. And I'm by myself and I have the other kid and the dog and it's 4 a.m. And it's like, well, no one's sleeping around this house today. So <laughs> we've all been there. And so she And you look really, fresh as a daisy anyway. You know what? I put on a bright pink headband and I feel like that masks a lot. It does. But, so Chloe, you know, and this is also one of the cool things. Like my mom used to be able to have this as a resource too, as a journalist. Sometimes when you have a really deep fundamental life problem, when you are a journalist on a national TV platform, you're lucky enough to be able to say, you know what? I have this problem and a lot of other people probably have it too. I'm going to go interview an expert. And we get to do that on Instagram too, as influencers, right? Like yeah. when I have a problem, like, you know, stressed urinary incontinence, I pee my pants after I had two kids. <laughs> I go and I see that expertise and I share about it. I think it's a cool part of being, yes, you know, a journalist or somebody in the media or a public personality. So Chloe was kind enough to bring that information to all of us. And she spoke about that on the show last time, but this time we're having her on for something different. This is so cool. Recently, she called me and she said, "James, I got to tell you about this project I'm working on. I've been inspired to republish my late grandfather's memoir, Luck of the Draw, My Story in the Air War in Europe. She wanted to honor his legacy and ensure that his story of heroism and courage was never forgotten. Her grandfather, Frank Murphy, was a member of the 100th Bomb Group, also known as the Bloody 100th, nice name, but World War II, it was a time. I mean, man, he survived 18 months in a German prisoner of war camp, man, after being shot out of his bomber plane in England in 1943. So, I mean, you know, I just Doesn't think it's it so feel like such a pansy sometimes. Yes. Yes. Like, yes. like we complain about what? Really? That, right? It's, it's like perspective shift. Remember the memes through the pandemic yes. when they're like, yes. You like our grandfathers went to war in World War II, and yeah. we're like, we had to look at memes while we sat in our house, and like, not to <laughs> be a little, yeah, not to be a yeah. little the pandemic, but it's like, no, truth of the matter is, perspective helps. Perspective, perspective helps. So I'm so inspired that she took on this project. We're going to hear a lot more from her about it coming up in just a moment. Heidi, sounds good. All right, everyone, listen to this show if. You're a history buff who loves to hear about real life experiences from the past, especially those related to World War II. You're interested in how stories from the past can help us gain perspective and resilience in the face of present day challenges and adversity. Or you're a fan of Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Curious why that's relevant to this conversation? You may just have to keep listening to find out. Chloe, welcome. That's my cue to say hi. <laughs> I know. I, I started off my my first question on my script with Chloe. You're one of my best friends. I love how I always you write that into a script. Chloe, you're one of my best friends, and I not only love and respect you as a person and a professional, but I really respect you so much as a mom and a family woman. You know, I love that we've brought up our kids together and kind of started our families together around the same time. And I have to imagine that really laddered up to your reasoning for wanting to bring your grandfather's memoir, Luck of the Draw, back to life more than two decades after its initial release. So let's start there. I kind of framed this up in the intro. Everybody knows where, where we're at. So I want you to kind of dive in because I'm really curious. This is such a big project to take on. Was there a particular moment 
or maybe a realization that sparked this decision? And I'm also wondering, did it maybe have to do with looking at your own boys and wanting to teach them some of those important lessons? First of all, I mean, you can tell that you're the daughter of like the most famous female journalist ever because <laughs> you're just so good at connecting everything. I'm so excited to be here. And yes, you are one of my bestest friends. And I cannot believe that we've known each other for as long as we have. And also just to see your rise and everything that you're doing and how you're helping people is so amazing. You're so inspiring. Honestly, like you, when I follow you on Instagram, you make me want to like get up off the couch, <laughs> which I'm I love usually you. there when I'm not working. Um, look, I mean, every, m most of us, either love our grandparents or we have a family member who really meant something to us either currently or someone who's passed. And my grandfather just happened to be that person for me. He was a good human being. I can't say that about a lot of the people in my family. Unfortunately, he was honest and supportive. And if there was ever a problem, I went to him. If I ever felt inadequate about something, he made me feel adequate. So I always felt like, a star in his eyes in the sense that there was nothing that I couldn't do. And so I think that that love for him and just, just, I, I'm so grateful for that foundation that he gave me that I'm, I am capable. I am worthy. Kind of like those quotes from the help where it's like, you is kind, you is beautiful. And you know, where she's the nanny is telling the little girl who she should be right. Because she wasn't getting that from other places. The love I had for my grandfather is the reason why now at 36, I said, well, a couple years ago, my grandfather worked really hard on a book about his experiences as a prisoner of war, and I want to give it the spotlight that it deserves. So it was really about paying it forward. And all of us might want to pay it forward in some way to someone, and it might not be for a family member. So he made just such a great impact on my life that I set out on this wild journey three years ago, and I never knew <laughs> what was, I had no idea how hard it was to publish a book. Uh, oh my God. Wow. I don't necessarily recommend it for anybody. Listen, <laughs> We've talked about this many times before with like when Megan was, you know, launching her book or when we had Zibby Owens on, like, man, it is not for the faint of heart. Oh yeah. I've gotten to know Zibby. I, I now know this book world. I know Zibby Owens and book influencers and people now. It's a, it's a really, really interesting world. And so my grandpa wrote this book called Luck at the Draw about what it was like being in World War II. And I think that the only difference of what sets my grandfather's story apart from other people is that he wrote it down. And a lot of people don't take the time to write down their life stories. And one of my big takeaways is that everybody needs to write down some notes about their life somewhere, even if it's just journaling, because you don't know what a future generation might find interesting. You know, you don't necessarily have to serve in a war for it to be worthy of publishing. But, you know, there is a bigger tie in here that involves Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg and, and some other things like that, that that played into this. But, yeah, it was a really it was not easy to do. The easy thing was as a journalist looking at the book and saying, wow, this isn't just a book my grandfather wrote. This is really well written, well researched. And um, he went through some pretty crazy experiences. So his story really is unique. I love that. Chloe, it's great to see you again. This is Heidi. Um, so I could resonate so much with what you were saying about your grandfather and had the special connection that you had 
my grandmother, Priscilla, was that person for me. I named one of my daughters after her. Oh. Her husband actually was also, my grandfather, Paul, was in World War II. He's involved in the bombing of Pearl Harbor and a lot of the pivotal points. He was not a prisoner of war, but he didn't write anything down. My grandmother has diaries and she passed, unfortunately, five years ago, but her diaries are like my most treasured, treasured memories. So I think it is I can only imagine how much more incredible that must be to have a book like it's actually written out and researched and fleshed out and really just formally put there. So how amazing that a that you had that, but b that you get to share it with the world has like so I know how I feel just reading my grandmother's diary. She was not in the war. (laughs) Her husband was. But how is reading and sharing his experience? his experiences impacted your own life and worldview? Like, have you found that it's changed the way you approach any situations or challenges? Right before you hopped on, Jamie and I were talking about perspective, you know, like people in the pandemic were whining about having to like stay at home and our grandfathers were in the war. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, any of us that are complaining about walking to Starbucks in the cold uh, with a down coat on or forgetting your umbrella is nothing if you go and you read (laughs) Luck of the Draw. You know, my grandfather wrote this long after retirement. He was in his 70s when he decided to start writing this book. And he did not talk about his experiences in World War II to his four kids. In the 60s, the 70s, when my mom and her siblings were growing up, they didn't hear dad talk about the war. I think like most people of that generation, they sort of just pocketed it away. They either were drinking heavily or turning to other sorts of ways to cope. Luckily, my grandfather didn't really exhibit any signs of post-traumatic stress, but we obviously think that he probably did. And one way of healing was writing this book. Turns out he's a really great writer and really great at researching. And you should like see the footnotes of this book. It's wild. But he was in this really famous prison camp known as Stalag Luft 3, where the great escape happened. So there was this really famous movie made about that prison camp. He took part in this wild death march from one prison camp to the other in the snow. And they I have one of the shoes from that march. And, you know, when I look at the things that he went through, you know, I lost my home in a fire a few years ago. And I really tried to draw from some of the experiences that my grandfather went through. One of the things that I still have is one of the shoes my grandfather wore on that march from one prison camp to the other. Most of the other things are in museums Yeah, I mean, it sort of just tells you that like, sure, everybody, you choose your heart and everybody has like their own situation. And maybe it really does suck to walk from your car to Starbucks one day in the cold and slip on the ice or whatnot. But it really puts things into perspective. As I read the book in my mid-20s again, and I realized that, wow, okay, so he was at the same prison camp where the great escape happened. And wow, he took part in that wild death march. And man, he parachuted out of a fiery aircraft where two people died the day that his plane was shot down on his 21st mission over Germany. He had a lot of things happen to him particularly that were wild, where maybe somebody who went through World War II never was a prisoner of war, or maybe had one kind of wild situation happen. My grandfather had like a series of very high profile things happen. He happened to be in all of the craziest air battles and in the worst prison camps, right? So that all makes for a really interesting story. What's been challenging, but successful now was how do I take this book and disseminate it to the world? That has been 
a tough process, I must say. But I am so grateful that we have this all written down, you know, because now I can give it to my kids and then their children's mm -hmm. children, right? And I can just be like, here, read the book. I don't have to remember it all. I wouldn't be able to remember it all. Well, and I think it's so important to be able to pass down those lessons. You know, my own mom advocates a lot for really helping to organize the affairs and the stories and the just the items from our parents and our grandparents, because she always reminds people that like when it's too late, it's too late. And we always think we have more time with them. We always think we have more time. So I think this is a really great even lesson and a reminder to people, maybe your grandfather didn't write a book, but is there a way that you can capture some of their stories and some of their lessons? Because, you know, I think it is so, to me, it is, it is so poignant. The sacrifices that were made by some Somebody who lived through something like World War II, the lessons that it can teach those of us, you know, just sitting around today dealing with what we think are hardships. And I love that you did you just say choose your hard? Was that what you said earlier? I love that. I don't think I've heard that before. I love that. And I've I think, heard choose your happy. Yeah, I well, really like choose your hard. You're welcome to use it now on your Instagram and you can credit me. I'm no problem. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to post tomorrow morning because I really think that that is. That is what a great encapsulation of the idea of perspective. There are days when I wake up and I just feel like, and this is absolutely my own anxiety. It is self-imposed. Like the world is crashing in on me. And then I'm able to like kind of take a deep breath and be like, actually, nothing's wrong. This is actually in my head. And sometimes, and do you agree with this, Chloe? Sometimes having actual real things that are put in our way almost help us gain a perspective and get grounded in reality. Like I bet that fire for you, similar to the things that your grandfather went through, put you back into perspective of like, all that matters is us and my family and our health. Are those the type of lessons that you're hoping are passed down through this book? Well, 100%. And I think that we all went through a really tough time during the pandemic. And whatever your political views are on that, it doesn't matter. We live through it. It's a very unique moment in time. So that alone, I think people should try to jot down what they remember from those past few years, I think will be really interesting for future generations. You know, the story is going to inspire resilience. You're going to, if you're a military history buff or your dad is or a family member of yours is, and you're listening to this, this is definitely the book for them. And obviously, if you're, you will get a good cry in certain parts, right? And you read the telegrams between him and his mother and his family didn't know where he was and he was missing in action for a while. They didn't know he was a prisoner of war. They would write these letters back and forth. And because of the snail mail at the time, it would take months and months before his letters would even get to him or get to them, vice versa. I will say for anybody out there listening, an actionable takeaway today is that I learned last night while I was in Savannah, Georgia, speaking at the World War II Museum down there which is a great place if you get a chance to go down to Savannah, do that in a ghost tour, is the Library of Congress offers these oral history kits and you can have them. And I think that they're delivered to your like local post office or maybe you can get them from your local library. But anyway, they send you a kit of how to record your own oral history. And I don't know if it's specific to certain people who served in certain in certain wars, right? If this is military related, but I know that you can get that. And I learned about that last night. I think that's really interesting. It, look, and some people might not want to talk, but I do think that there's something valuable that if grandma or grandpa's still around, sit them down and ask them some questions, right? And I'm just glad that, because I know I remember interviewing my grandfather on a tape recorder and I don't know where it is. So I think that now with iClouds and iPhones and all that kind of stuff, and now that I have the book, thank goodness, I would really recommend that everybody, everybody do that. 
Yeah, and it's not always so easy to ask or maybe because maybe the relationship isn't quite that way or what have you. But and this is not a plug for a company, but there is actually a service that my sister found that we gave to my dad for his birthday a year ago. And I think it's called like StoryWorth or something like that. I've seen the ad. Yeah. Basically, you can choose the questions you ask that parent, grandparent, or whomever you're gifting the story worth subscription to, and they can or cannot respond to the answer to the questions. And we've gotten the coolest stories from my dad that I never would know, like the coolest things and life lessons and stuff like that. So they're just like you were talking about with the oral history. It's like there's there are so many ways to get knowledge from other people, older generations, and, you know, sharing of knowledge is everything, right? That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we evolve as humans and civilization. So whatever the method, it's worth trying, right? And you want to know something interesting is that when I went to my agents and and people like that, which sounds so like bougie, but anyway, when you're a reporter and you're a journalist, you have to get an agent no matter if you're in local or whatever, just so everybody knows, Jamie understands this. She lived it. And that's how you get your next job. And so I went to them and I said, look, there's this book that my grandfather wrote and he self-published it and you need to read it. And I'm going to send you a copy and we need to publish this. I wasn't met with necessarily like laughs and eye rolls, but I'm sure that everybody's like, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Your grandpa wrote a book. All right. Send it my way. I feel so validated, not that I had anybody to disprove, but I mean, talk about immense gratification that last week the book became a New York Times bestseller. Yay! That's amazing. Congratulations. And also, like speaking of agents and managers, I was an I was a professional actor as a child, so sure. I'm very familiar with the whole scenario. Can you tell us and anyone who doesn't understand the process how not only did your grandfather's book become a New York Times bestseller, but like also the process of how your grandfather's story ended up being featured in the Apple TV Plus miniseries, Masters of the Air, because you teased that before and the star power is out of this world. Butler, baby, he's the star. Right, I know Elvis. <laughs> right, um, I was so disappointed that he didn't win the Oscar for Elvis. Um, well, okay, so two things. I mean, for anybody out there that wants to write a book, I mean, you basically you write a proposal first. My situation: the book was written and the author was dead, so it was a little. <laughs> I was like the vehicle to get this published, but I wrote the forward with my mom, and then it was about you know getting somebody to buy it, um, and you would call that in advance, right? And whether you write your book or you have a ghostwriter, however you want to do it. I had to go back and forth with the manuscript and I had to find every single photo that was in the original book because this book was not written on a computer. It was written on a typewriter. So I didn't even oh know how to find it. So we had to digitize the book. And then I went on the quest of getting quotes. You know, you, you know, when you read a book and you turn it over on the back cover and there's like, I love this book. You must read it, says Sarah Jessica Parker or something. <laughs> I went on a quest to get people to give quotes. So we have General Petraeus, who was the head of the CIA. We have former governor of Texas, Rick Perry. We have Tom Hanks, who gives a quote on the front of the book. He says, how did those boys do such things as part of his quote? And that's really what this is all about. When you see the series, whenever it comes out, hopefully sometime this year, 
you're going to say to yourself like, oh my God, these like young baby boys, how did they go up there and do this day after day and watch their friends all around them get shot and killed in the sky and fall out of airplanes on fire. And then they would get up and they would do it the next day. And it was because of this brotherhood that they had with each other. It really was less about a love of the country and patriotism as much as it was like being there for your fellow man. You know, it's kind of a big mystery, but I have been involved with a bunch of World War II organizations over the years, and I started going to these events, and I got to know people from Tom Hanks's production company called Playtone, and I would be at these different World War II events, and I was meeting writers and people from the show, and they knew about my grandfather's book and somehow they'd had a copy because my grandfather had several hundred in circulation that he had handed out in the early 2000s to those military groups. Somehow it got to them and they used it heavily, although it was not optioned. And so one day, one of the the head writer, John Orloff, he said to me, you know, your grandfather is a character. And I was so happy because it was a question I wanted answered, but I never wanted to ask because I was afraid to hear no. And look, I would love and support the series even if my grandfather wasn't a character. But yes, it's kind of wild that my grandfather will be immortalized on screen, that my kids will one day be able to see grandpa and read the book. Um, And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to publish the book was because I said, look, when this series comes out, it's Apple's first original series. I want it you know, those people that like love, you might be one of them. You love to like read the book before you watch the show or a movie or you go and you buy the book after. I know that people are going to have an interest in the Mighty Eighth Air Force. And so I wanted this to be out there because there's not many books about it. So yeah, I mean, the show was supposed to come out this month. So the goal was to actually have the book come out like right at the same time, but that is not what has happened and that's okay. Um, But to your point, a lot of people like to read mm -hmm. it first so they can have their imagination fill before it's filled for them. I went to the set in England during the pandemic and wow, they literally rebuilt World War II. They rebuilt planes, like B-17s to scale. They rebuilt the prison camps. I walked through prison camps that they made And these are stories I've only heard about as a little girl from my grandfather or in the book. So now I'm actually like walking through it and seeing it. And it's unbelievable the time, the money, the care that these, oh my God, like hundreds and hundreds of people on production have done. It just gives you such respect for, I I can only imagine how Game of Thrones is made or something like that. It's wild. But yeah, I mean, look, I would just say that Don't think that you're like my grandfather, if he was alive, he never would even in his wildest dreams think that any of this would be happening. So I think that it sort of also goes to show you that like, not that one man's junk is another man's treasure because his book and story is not junk at all. But I think it's just like, you don't know what somebody else is going to find interesting. Absolutely. I think that's wild about the set. And it's really cool because sometimes the set what might look cool on TV is almost underwhelming in person. Like I remember my one of my sister's best friends is Natalie Portman. They grew up together. They went to acting camp together. What? Yeah, my oh. sister went to Stage Door Manor. Do you ever see the movie Camp? She like her year at camp was like Bryce Dallas Howard and Natalie Portman and Mia Tyler. It was just like this camp where all of these celebrity children went, people who went on to do great things like Natalie and Bryce is such a doll as well. But my sister spent time with Natalie when she was filming, I think the second of the Star Wars trilogy. And they were in Australia or New Zealand or wherever they filmed it, which sounds so amazing. Like they're going to be out on like the, you know, in like the, I don't even know what goes on in Australia, but out with kangaroos. (laughs) But it was mostly a green screen. 
because it was Star Wars. So it was like a green screen, like soundstage. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right, like, right. It was way less impressive than you would have thought. But that's very cool to hear that they recreated such a monumental moment in time. So I want to bring us back to New York. I heard that the book Launch Party, which I'm so sorry I couldn't come to you, but I read about it on page six <laughs> and saw that it was a star-studded event and that so many of friends and your colleagues and members of the 8th Air Force were all in attendance and all of your CNN girls, your Caitlin Collins, I saw was there and Sarah Seidner and Erica Hill, which is so cool. So what kind of feedback have you been receiving from people? Like, have any of your friends' reactions really been interesting or caught you off guard? What have you been hearing from people who have read the book? You know, first of all, you missed a great party. <laughs> I heard. It was so much fun. Uh -huh. um, I ended up staying out till like two or three in the morning afterwards. We went to like a club, kind of a club, and I'm too old to do that now. And then Sarah Seidner came and she and I were just on the phone right before I jumped on this. I'm obsessed with Aww. Sarah Seidner. She's amazing. And her new show starts in just a few weeks. She'll be on from like nine to noon. So you guys got to watch. That's my plug. Ooh, amazing. And I just want to say that when I was at my own after party impromptu, I looked down at my phone and the book was like number 23 in the world on Amazon. And I didn't realize in that moment that that is a big deal. And that that I mean, I know it's a big deal, but like what a big deal that is. And it was like above the hungry caterpillar. It was so gratifying. <laughs> and then of course, it like falls off, you know, and you don't know where where it is or what number it is, but it was cool. No, you know, I would say that the most interesting thing is like people that are buying the book that I wouldn't expect. It's people from middle school and um, elementary school, high school, school, a friend of mine that I grew up with in Texas, who I haven't spoken to probably since the eighth grade, she took a picture of herself reading the book on a beach for spring break with her kids. And she said her dad had just finished it. A producer at CNN, an associate producer this morning when I was here, he said, oh, my dad just finished the book. And I said, well, what did he think? He was like, he said it was outstanding. And I was just like, that is so nice. And they had me sign the book, which is so funny because I'm not the author and I'm like signing the book now. I mean, I wrote the foreword, but you know, and so I'm like the pseudo author here. And so he had me sign the book this morning and it was really sweet. I just think that it's nice that it's sort of like not the audience that you would expect. I spoke to people that were probably like over the age of 75 last night in Savannah. And that to me, it's like, oh, okay, right. That's the audience that would be reading the book. And sure, of course, because they have closer memories to World War II. But I think that if anybody saw Top Gun and walked out of that movie, not that this, this is not a story about fighter pilots. This is a story about uh, heavy bombers, like B-17. So they move slower in the air, but they had the most casualties. And that's why like the week that my grandfather was shot down was called Black Week because so many people died. And the particular battle that he took part in when his plane went down over Munster, it's said to be the most famous air battle, right, in history, in American history. So I just think that there's something in it for everybody. I really do. I mean, sure, are there parts, I'm not going to lie, there's parts in the book that are dense. And I was just rereading it the other day. And there's parts where he gets really heavy into like detail of the aircraft and these missions, right? But then you get to like a couple pages ahead and he's asking for socks and underwear and chocolate to his mom and mm -hmm. telling us about what it was like tunneling out of the prison camp. They, had, they were trying to tunnel out, right? So it gives you a little bit of everything, which is why I think the reviews have been so positive. It's such an interesting world, this book world. And I don't know how anybody publishes a book. Like my hat's off to all people out there that write a book and publish it. And like, this was my baby and I didn't even write it. And so it's one thing to write a book, but then you got to figure out how are you going to get people to read it and buy it and publicize it and market it and does social media work and how do you do it? And 
what podcast you need to go on, right? To try to get people to buy it. <laughs> Off the gram. Off the gram. Clearly. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting of how it all works. So again, I don't have like the secret sauce as to how did it get on the New York Times bestseller list? Like, was it Chris Jenner posting or was it, was it the book party? I mean, you know, like I have no idea what it was that like gives it that jump. Not that uh, the goal is to be a New York Times bestseller either. I don't think that that should be the goal. And that wasn't, wasn't our goal. But I do think it's really great that the money, honestly, and this is like a real plug, it raises money for two different veterans groups. So we don't take a dime from it, our family. So that's that was really important for us to not profit off of this personally. That's amazing. I love how you talked about the audience being so much wider than you ever imagined, which I think is really cool. And when you were speaking, I couldn't just help but think, but like, isn't the secret sauce just like getting something really amazing out there? <laughs> like, I mean, I know it's not the secret sauce, but like you, you have the groundswell. It's that every little thing counts, right? It's that you have a great story and a, and a great author I know now named Stacey Willingham who wrote A Flicker in the Dark. It's so good. It's like chick lit murder mystery and it's so good. It takes place in the South. And she and I met a few years ago and she did no marketing, no publicity. And I don't know what Colleen Hoover did, but Stacey Willingham, she didn't do much, much at all. And it was also a St. Martin's Press book, which is my my grandfather's book now, and it became a bestseller and it spread like wildfire. So I think that as great as social media is, and they call it earned media, right? Like when you're in People Magazine and all that stuff, like you don't pay for it, it's earned. Maybe that's too in the weeds here, but I would say that it's it's old school telling your neighbor. Yeah, It's like old school, just like getting the word out there and getting your friends to just tell people and post about it. And even as simple as like your neighborhood mm -hmm. newsletter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like star power and money. And so I'll just say this. This person will remain nameless. There is this person who put a book out not too long ago and sold like 16,000 copies of the book. Very wealthy person. Right. They did not make any bestseller lists. And this person is very unhappy about it. But that's because I think that maybe the person went into it with different intentions. And so if you're going out there to do maybe what I did, which was just tell a good story or tell a story from the heart and something that really means something to you. And you're not doing it to promote yourself or self gain that it just needs to be pure, you know? Yeah. Really. If you want to write a book, you should do it because you really want to write a book. And because, because you have a story to tell. Yes. And said story can probably teach all of humanity a lot. <laughs> I think that's like a beautiful byproduct of having great, such a beautiful story to tell, right? It's It seems like there are so many lessons and values that can be learned from your grandfather's story. Well, something I would love to tell you is that Don Miller, a very famous historian who wrote Masters of the Air, the book that is now being turned into the Apple TV show, he was not in World War II. He's a, a historian and he interviewed a bunch of people who went through the 8th Air Force, specifically the 100th Bomb Group known as the Bloody 100th that my grandfather was in. And he told me recently in an interview, because I interviewed him for CNN, and he said, you can't have war without love. Mm. And I thought that that was really powerful. And it's like, well, wait, what does that mean? And it's like, you cannot have war without love. And like the brotherhood and war is awful. And in the book, my grandfather writes about how he hopes that the planes he shot down, that those men survived mm. and went on to have children and grandchildren. He writes about that. So I think that 
it's complicated. It's complicated. And we're human beings at the end of the day. People fighting in wars are human beings. And that's what makes it all so difficult to grasp. Well, those are beautiful lessons to teach your own children. And I'm so glad that you got to bring these lessons to us today. I want to round the corner um, to give us time for you to answer our one last final question, our last segment, which you may remember from the last time you did this show. It's called Karma Call. Heidi? Beautiful singing, Jane. Thank you. <laughs> so I will explain to anyone who is tuning in for the first time or remind you, Chloe, that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing, inspiring guests, you, what is one small actionable item that our listeners could try for a short period of time that would yield a large result? Small action, big result. Oh my gosh. I don't remember this. <laughs> Talk about the hot seat. I think uh, you said something about like going to bed an hour earlier last time or something. <laughs> it was always sleep related. <laughs> so I'm going to say something that might sound really small. Perfect. And it might sound really obvious and something that you think that you already do. And it's something based on an experience I had a few nights ago that was not a good experience. I was made to feel very small by someone very powerful. And it brought me back and triggered me and made me feel like I was back in middle school. And it was awful. And I was very much so bullied um, in middle school, a little bit in high school, because I was always the new kid because we moved around and I moved schools a lot. I'm going to take it from Ellen DeGeneres. Be kind. Mm -hmm. If you can just be kind to the people behind the counter, but be kind to the people at the coat check, the people cleaning the hallways of your office, be kind, ask someone how they're doing, say hello, smile, compliment someone's outfit. If you're standing in the elevator with somebody that looks like maybe they're an intern or an assistant or in a doctor's office and someone looks stressed in the elevator and say something nice to them. I think that we all should be just a little kinder to each other. We're all going through a lot of shit. And uh, like I said, choose your heart, but you don't know what someone's going through. Sure, you're going to have bad days. You can't always be the nicest human. I just think we just need to be nicer to each other and make each other feel good, you know? And so I know you, Jamie, and I'm sure you as well. Like we run in certain circles sometimes where you're around people and they think that they're really important, right? But at the end of the day, I think, Jamie, you just said, we're all just people and we all have an expiration date and we're all going through the same shit together. I said shit twice and I've said it three times. Um, Bring it on, girl. So I just think we just need to be a little nicer yeah. or maybe a lot nicer, yeah. actually. Yeah. But baby steps. Starting with a little is a good place to start. I can't think of a better karma call. Chloe. So thank you for that. Beautifully said, beautifully done. Thank you for bringing this to us today. And thank you for sharing about this book. Can you remind everybody where they can find you on social media and where they can find this book on the internet? Yes. Well, go to www.luckofthedraw.us and we have a bunch of buttons where you can buy it wherever you like to shop. Um, and then of course you can just find me on Instagram or Facebook under just my name, Chloe Malas. Fabulous. Well, thank you for joining us, Chloe. Thank you, everybody at home, for tuning in today. Don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to this show. We are everywhere podcasts can be consumed so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time. 